Good morning. Good morning. I feel like I am getting up here way early in the service, but uh, I'm glad to be here, and um, glad that you're here too. Actually, maybe I'll take this extra time and uh, just share a little bit. I, I woke up this morning. I really want you to know that I, that I am glad to be here. Uh, I woke up this morning, and um, I don't know how to, I, I really, even now, I can't really put my finger on it, but I'm just a bit in a, in a funk, just a bit out of sorts. Maybe it's fall. Um, but I've just, uh, you know, my thoughts have been scattered. Um, my heart is, just seems a bit unsettled. Uh, and so I'm really, I really am glad to be here with you this morning. I need to be here with you this morning. I, I trust that you're glad to be here. Um, and I've been just kind of, we talked about this last week. We just, I've been all morning, I've just been kind of preaching to my own soul. Just reminding myself that God is good. Uh, that God is with me. That God is for me. Um, that God is for us and with us. And I know I'm not alone. And I know that even this morning as I've talked to some of you and even now as I look at, into some of your faces, I know and I just sense that some of you are in a bit of a funk too. And things are just a bit out of sorts. And so, I don't know. If in some way my weakness can be an encouragement to you, be encouraged. Because uh, what Frank was sharing about uh, the strength of Christ being known in our weakness, uh, that's where I'm at today, is I'm just um, coming to you for whatever reason, feeling less than full capacity, not even really half capacity, but still glad and uh, grateful to be here. So... Thank you for allowing me to, to just express that and to be honest with you. Uh, I'm looking forward to what God has for us today and how God's going to meet us in our respective places of need. So with that in mind, please take your Bible and, and meet me in Jonah chapter 3. If um, Every now and then I like to say this. If, if you don't have a Bible, there are some provided for you in the, uh, under the seats in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible, like literally, like you don't have a Bible, uh, those are our gift to you. So feel free to take one and call it your own. Uh, we would be very, very delighted to put that into your hands. We come to Jonah 3, uh, recalling how chapter 2 found Jonah facing a crisis of faith. He had run from God and yet had begun to return to God in prayer from the belly of a great fish. It was a critical moment for Jonah and a turning point in the book of Jonah. And from this prayer we considered, last week we considered at least four ways to handle our various crises. And they include to call upon God desperately 
as if he's all you've got left. To look forward to what God will do. In other words, cling to the promises of God. To look back on what God has done. And to give thanks always in every circumstance. And we said that because the Lord is God and because God is faithful, you can face your crisis without losing your faith. Chapter 2 ends with Jonah being mercifully spit out onto dry land, while chapter 3 begins by offering yet another picture of divine grace. The third chapter in the book of Jonah is about how God dealt graciously with Jonah and with the people of Nineveh to whom Jonah was sent. However, one thing I've learned over time is that sometimes I, we, can be too quick to get to what seems like the main point. In other words, we can read the Bible too quickly. And in doing so, we miss some finer points along the way. So, though chapter 3 is primarily about Jonah's ministry in Nineveh and the subsequent repentance of Nineveh and God's mercy toward the people of Nineveh, I found myself this week simply unable to get past verse 1 without taking pause to consider the grace of God that set the stage and prepared the way. Verse 1 of chapter 3 is power-packed. In just this one brief verse, I think we learn a key truth. Though our failures are many, and sin is strong, God's grace is ample and stronger still. I'll say that again. Though our failures are many and sin is strong, God's grace is ample and stronger still. God's message to us this morning, I believe, is one of hope that teaches that you need not be plagued by your past. Now, your past may mean years ago. Your past may mean months ago. Your past may mean weeks ago. Or your past may mean days or hours or even minutes ago. Maybe even this morning, maybe even while on your way to church, you failed. And I want you to know that though our failures are many and sin is strong, God's grace is ample and stronger still. So with that, let's read this one verse. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for this gift you've given 
which is the church. And even the gift we receive Lord's Day after Lord's Day where we can come together as the church to encourage one another, to receive encouragement, to bless and praise your name, and to receive blessing from your good hand. Oh God, this morning we need to know and remember and maybe even preach again to our own souls that you are good all the time. All your ways are good. Everything about you is good. And even everything in our lives, even the not good parts of our lives, you in some way, in ways that are beyond us, are working all those things for the good. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your, just the promise that you are with us, that you are for us in Jesus Christ, that you have given all you can give, including your very own son. To bring all of your people into the fold. Jesus, you are our great shepherd. And oh, how we need your shepherding care this morning. Would you come and minister to your lambs? Holy Spirit, you are the enabler. You are our helper and counselor, the one who enables and and makes us able to hear your voice, to receive your word, to understand it and apply it. Would you do that this morning? Would you... Would you essentially walk every aisle and down each row and touch each person in the exact place of their need? We look to you today for all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. I contend that this one brief statement encapsulates the book of Jonah and the entire biblical narrative. With this one statement, we can peer into God's heart to see and discover a heart of divine grace. In this one short verse, we see grace initiated. We see grace Extended, and we see grace demonstrated. By grace initiated, consider the phrase, the word of the Lord. The point is that God is speaking. God speaks. Significant this is in so many ways. Our God is a speaking God who initiates interaction with his world. The creator who spoke, he spoke the world, the universe, really, the entire universe into being, still speaks to and with his creation. He is neither silent nor withdrawn. He has not distanced himself. If you've ever questioned whether God was involved in your life, be assured 
He is. For even as God initiated contact with Jonah, so is the word of the Lord coming to you this morning. As I mentioned a few weeks back when we began this study in the book of Jonah, God's voice even right now is emanating from this book through my mouth into our ears and hearts. He's speaking. He's initiating engagement, relationship. He's the first mover, and he's taking the first step. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, came to Jonah. This is grace, not only initiated, but now also extended. There's no mention here, notice, of Jonah seeking God. Rather, God sought Jonah and extended his grace to Jonah. Now, isn't that what we've seen throughout this story? From the opening verse in the opening chapter, God went to Jonah. God pursued Jonah when Jonah fled. God sent a storm to get Jonah's attention. God rescued Jonah when, uh, when he was thrown into the sea. God ministered to Jonah even while in the belly of the fish. God didn't wait for Jonah to come to him. God took the first step every step of the way. That's what grace does. You don't work for grace. I should say, you can't work for grace. You work for pay. You work for a wage. When you, get your, when you get paid at work, that's not grace. That may be a blessing. It's not grace. Those are your earnings. But grace is never earned. It's always freely extended. Always. It's like a gift, and it always begins with the giver. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. I love that phrase. The second time. Not only did God initiate gracious interaction with Jonah and extend grace to Jonah, he demonstrated grace by going to Jonah a second time. I think it is fair to say that most of us would have moved on from Jonah long ago for understandable reasons. Jonah was not what we would expect from a man of God, certainly not a prophet. He failed. He failed in so many ways. He was a letdown. And we typically don't respond well to those who fail us or let us down. Our demonstrations of grace, we we call it grace, but our demonstrations of grace are usually conditioned on certain standards being met. Think about this. Even with something as simple as going out to eat, we will withhold the gratuity which is a form of grace, by the way, we will withhold the gratuity from the server when they don't perform to our liking. This thought dawned on me someday, or recently, when we weren't getting, Sally and I were not getting particularly good service. 
and it came time to pay the bill, do I... Betty, are you okay? Okay. 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 Do I pay this server less? Because he has not done what a good job, in my opinion. Now, however you would choose to answer that question, that's your decision. But in that moment, I felt maybe what he needs is more, not less. Maybe he's having a bad day. Maybe they're short on staff. Maybe he just learned something in the family that has rocked him. Maybe he needs grace. I want to juxtapose our typical demonstrations of grace with how the scriptures speak about the steadfast love of the Lord. Though Jonah had failed God, God remained faithful to Jonah, and he therefore went to Jonah a second time. A bruised reed he will not break, wrote the prophet Isaiah. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Listen, those who play wind instruments know that when the reed is damaged, the sound is severely compromised. And therefore, for all practical purposes, a bruised reed is worthless and easily replaced. Similarly, the flax of a faintly burning wick is usually tends only to smoke, but never really ignites. In both instances, whether the reed or the wick, the easiest and most obvious solution is to just throw it away and start over. But the Lord, being gracious and steadfast in love, does not refuse the bruised weed or the faintly burning wick. Instead, God delights to build His church through what would otherwise be discarded. That's good news. Aren't you glad that it's not God's habit to discard those who fail Him? Trace the lives of of those considered to be great people of God in the Bible, and you'll find a God who supplied even greater grace along the way. Moses, before the burning bush, after he had fled to Midian, he was looking to escape and flee. David, restored to the throne after his affair with Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah. Peter, restored to ministry after he denied Jesus three times. Paul becoming an apostle in the church after 
he was so zealous in persecuting the church. These are real life examples of real people from the Old Testament to the New, from one age to another, from generation to generation. God demonstrates his grace time and time again. That's why he's known as the God of the second chance. I believe that every person in this room is a living, breathing testament to the grace of God. I believe that. I believe that each of us have received God's common grace and many of us his saving grace. Not a one of us is without need of grace and not a one has, has not received it in generous supply. I believe there are persons in this room right now who long for grace even this morning. You know your failures. You know you're very well aware of your sin. You recognize how far short of God's design you've fallen. Even this week, in just the past seven days, from last Sunday to this one, you can probably identify specific instances where, you, where, where sin has prevailed and you have failed. Are you in need of a second chance? I believe God is the God of the second chance and more, but a second chance at what? Exactly. And so at this point, it's important to me to clarify something very important. Getting a second chance may bring relief. There may be a, a sense of fresh start, and clean slate, and that's good, but it does not make you right with God. I want to say that again. Getting a second chance may bring relief, but it does not make you right with God. It may bring relief, but it doesn't make you right. A second chance testifies to God's grace, absolutely, but listen, our problem lies not Our problem is not that we've missed our chance and need another. The true problem is that sin so mars and twists and disfigures our our nature that we need a new nature entirely. We need to be made new to be right with God. Therefore, we need to be made righteous. And this you cannot do by yourself, no matter how many times you try or how many second chances you're given. I've heard it put this way. It's a good analogy, good illustration. I want you to think of a kindergartner taking a calculus test. And because he's only five, this little tyke bombs the test and receives an F atop his page. Now, the teacher may show mercy and tear up the exam and forgive his failure. But the boy will not rejoice when a fresh, identical test is placed in front of him for a second attempt. Now, there may be some mensa-in-waiting kindergartner who can pass calculus, but there is zero 
chance of a fallen human being passing the test of God's law. The scripture says there is none righteous, not even one. Instinctively, you know you need more than a second chance, don't you? I mean, how many of you would like your thought life projected onto the video screens? Your thoughts about God, about yourself and others, about your priorities in life and material possessions? How many would like the video of how you've behaved around others? How you treat coworkers and classmates, how you are around your family when no one but your family can see? How you respond to neighbors on your street and in your community? How many would like to have known the promises you've made but broken? And the countless words you've spoken in hurt or anger or spite? And is there anyone among us who would love to have their entire internet browsing history broadcast to the entire church? You see, sin so enslaves us that even on a good day, we can never get it perfectly right. You can never be righteous enough to free yourself from sin's bondage. So in that sense, there's no point in having a second chance or 20 or 50 or 100. How helpful is it really to, if God were to give you a second chance at, at something you can never accomplish? How helpful is a second chance at the impossible? So when it comes to being delivered from sin and made new by God, it's not a second chance we need. Listen, we need someone who got it right the first time. And that's Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ graciously reveals how we need a perfect substitute and how Jesus is just that. Jesus is God who came from heaven to earth to enter into our humanity as a man. He lived among us as one of us, yet distinct from us. As the divine Son of God, He never sinned, though tempted in every way as we are. And yet when He died, He died for sin, not His, but ours. And He rose from the dead to break the chains of sin and death for all who place their trust in Him. And when you place your trust in Him, not only are you forgiven your sins, but His Perfect righteousness is credited to your account. Because Jesus secured our redemption, you do not need to earn it through a series of second chances. Praise Him. Praise Him. Praise Him. Even as Jonah notes previously in chapter 2, verse 9, your redemption is not dependent on a second chance for salvation belongs to the Lord. 
Now, even when saved, however, you still make mistakes. You still fall short. You still fail on occasion. You still sin. God is saving. He is sanctifying. And oh my goodness, there is a day coming when sin will be no more. That day is not today. And though you're new, though you have a new nature in Christ, the old nature still rears its head, doesn't it? And so as a child of God, there is always a second chance to begin anew because God is gracious and loving and faithful. And that's what we see going on here with Jonah in verse 1 of chapter 3. Not a second chance in that we can work our way back into God's grace, but that God's grace is already working its way into us. You see that? Because I am in Christ and because Jesus got it right the first time, my second trance is not about earning grace, but rather responding to it. And how shall we respond? I want to suggest three simple steps before I conclude. And they are these. Believe in the grace of God, receive the grace of God, and share the grace of God with others. Responding to divine grace, first of all, means believing that it is what it is. God wants you to understand. People, please hear this. God wants you to understand that there is no sin, no failure, no wrong action or thought that cannot be turned around by the glory of God's grace. In other words, nothing You have ever thought or said, nothing done or left undone, no matter how wrong, is beyond the reach of God's grace. Pause and let that sink in. Nothing you have ever thought, nothing you have ever said, nothing you have ever done, or left undone, no matter how wrong, is beyond the reach of God's grace. Even as I say that out loud and hear myself say it, I still find it hard to believe. Because this concept of grace is so far beyond the norm of our everyday human experience, it's hard to believe. It's hard to fathom, it's so otherworldly, that it's hard to fathom just how far it extends and how frequent. There may be someone hearing these words today, or someone you know who has wrongly assumed that their past 
renders them beyond reach. And what you and they need to know is that that's exactly what divine grace is and does. God's grace is not conditioned upon your performance or perfection, but your utter inability to perform or perfect. It's this grace that goes forth in pursuit of those who need it. But it's not enough simply to know this, to believe that God is gracious. You must receive the grace being offered. Now, suppose I have in my pocket a gift for anyone who'd like it. And I am extending it freely. And it is available to anyone who wants to come forward and take it. <laughs> the gift is the gift is mine to give. And Pat's to receive. But it does not become Pat's until he receives it. (laughs) (laughs) Now suppose I have the same gift. And this time I come to you as God comes to us. And I extend it freely. Even so, the gift does not become Donna's until she agrees to accept it and takes possession of it. And the point is that receiving the grace of God means reaching out to grab hold of it. Now, with that in mind, I want to take this one step further, a necessary step. Our verse says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Worth noting is that the Greek translation of the Old Testament, known as the Septuagint, uses the word logos here when referring to the word of the Lord. And that is the same word at times used in the New Testament to refer to Jesus. Probably the most well-known occurrence of this is found in the prologue of the Gospel of John. There, John opens with this profound statement concerning Jesus Christ. You know it well, many of you. You've heard it. In the beginning was the Word, Logos. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory 
glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, there is so much being said here that we can't possibly cover it all this morning, but the point to be made today is that just as with Jonah, God is extending His grace today, now, through His spoken word, the Bible, which leads us to the personal word, Jesus. In fact, the entire Old Testament anticipates Christ. Each of the New Testament Gospels picture Christ. All the epistles explain Christ. And the final revelation looks forward to the return of Christ to his second coming. Receiving the grace of God, therefore, in the way that God intends, means reaching out to grab hold of Jesus. For all who receive him and believe on his name, he gives the right to become children of God. The implied action is to call upon Christ, recognizing that you need grace and that he's the grace you need. And because you need this grace, not one time only, but time after time, your continual reception of it is just an expression of your ongoing desire to trust Jesus by entrusting yourself to Jesus. Does that make sense? I'm not sure by your response if that does make sense, but does that make sense? Maybe if I can say it just as as simply as I as I can. You need grace today, and so do I. And it's found not in some general concept of God. It's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And God is extending Jesus to you freely. But like the gifts I gave, you have to agree to receive it. Not only must we believe and receive the grace of God in Christ, we are also expected to share this grace with others because they share our need of it. We're going to talk more about this next week as we get into verse 2 and following, but for now, just notice how God sent Jonah out on mission. Arise, go to Nineveh, And call out against it the message that I tell you. Clearly, God gave Jonah a mission and a message. So Christian, as a recipient of the grace of God, there is simply no getting around the fact that he has likewise given you a similar mission and message. So here's my challenge. And I want you to know that when, before sharing this challenge, I had to say to God that I'm taking the challenge. Here it is. This week, 
as you are out on mission, i.e., wherever you happen to be at any given time, share the message of God's grace with at least one person who needs to hear it. This week, as we are out on mission, let us share the message of grace with those who need it. We're going to close now. And as we prepare to receive communion together, we're going to hear a song about grace. Parts of it will be familiar to you. Some of it may not. The song is called Broken Vessels. I like that name. I like it because that's what we are. We are, we are broken people. Broken by sin and its devastating effects. But by God's grace, we are vessels too. We are just channels of grace simply passing on to others what God has given to us. Believe in the grace of God. Receive the grace of God. And share the grace of God with others. Though your failures are many and sin is strong, God's grace is ample and stronger still. Amen. Father, I want to pray over my congregation the grace of God. Would you continue to just pour forth assurance after assurance that you love, tell us of your love, Tell us of your goodness. Tell us of your grace. Tell us of the redemption you've secured for us in Christ. Oh God, would you take these your children and provide with them all they need for the glory of your name, for the good of your people. And then, oh Father, if there are some among us who do not know the saving grace. They, certainly they know your common grace, but if they do not know your saving grace, if they have never taken hold of Jesus Christ, your gift of grace, would you grant them the faith to do that even today, even this morning? Do that, we pray. Amen.